here we have to uh, confront both pictures that are dominant uh, narratives in the West. The first one that is just uh, downplaying the problem of the far right in Ukraine, saying they have uh, very low uh, electoral support, and that's true. They have no uh, real mass social base. They are um, deeply unpopular in the majority of uh, Ukrainian population. And the other one is about uh, when speaking of Ukraine, you have this synonymous uh, situation that Ukraine equals uh, fascism, equals Azov battalion, and so on and so on. The reality is much more complex. And again, though uh, the far right is weak electorally, uh, but it has its institutions and it uh, has, of course, uh, armed people. It's precisely this uh, situation of war and Russian aggression that fuels uh, the Ukrainian far right and that gives it legitimacy and that gives it arms. So the, the Russian invasion is doing something opposite to denazification. It uh, really boosts uh, this legitimacy of, of the far right because actually now they have the opportunity to present themselves to um, the general population as uh, the great um, warriors and the great defenders of, uh, of the motherland. However, what's what's important to emphasize that to deal with, uh, with this problem, with this challenge, is uh, uh, something that uh, needs to be done by uh, Ukrainian society itself. This program is brought to you by Haymarket Books as part of our live event series. Haymarket Books is a radical, independent publisher dedicated to connecting social movements with the ideas they need in the struggle for a better world. You can help support the Haymarket Project by buying books at haymarketbooks.org and especially by joining the Haymarket Book Club. By joining the book club, you get all new Haymarket titles delivered to your door and a 50% discount on the entire Haymarket website, all for one low price. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and the Haymarket YouTube channel to access all of our upcoming events. If you really want to help us out, rate and review the podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to our audience from across many different time zones. I'm Steve Shalom from Internationalism from Below, the host of this forum. Internationalism from Below is a network of socialist activists building solidarity and cultivating cross-movement learning among emancipatory struggles and social movements around the world. We are glad to have Haymarket Books as our partner for our political education events. Additional co-sponsors for this event include, in the United States, New Politics Journal, The Tempest Collective, and the organization Solidarity. In Ukraine, Commons, a journal of social criticism, and the democratic socialist organization Socialny Ruk, Social Movement, and the East European left-wing website, Left East. We are meeting at a time of deep sadness. There is a massive humanitarian tragedy unfolding in Ukraine as the Russian invaders have been increasingly slaughtering civilians. And the invasion will have a profound effect as well on the future of world politics as relations between nuclear armed powers hit their lowest point in at least 60 years. In some ways, it seems inappropriate to even be holding a discussion about Ukraine 
while people are being blown apart. One of our speakers, Denis Pilash, is still in Ukraine. We wrote to him several times explaining that we fully understood if he couldn't be part of our program. He replied that no, he wanted to participate and that doing so was now more important than ever. We are in awe at his bravery and have nothing but admiration for the brave resistance of the Ukrainian people. We have three expert panelists with us today. I will introduce each one of them before they speak, and they will each talk for about 15 minutes. I will then ask a few questions, and then we will open it up to questions from the audience. Please use the chat feature on the right side of your screen to pose a question, and we will try to get to as many of them as we can. At the end, we will allow each of the speakers to make some brief closing remarks. Our first speaker is Hanna Perakoda. She is a native of Donetsk in Eastern Ukraine and has family there. She is a doctoral student at the Institute of Political Studies at the University of Lausanne and a member of Solidarité Suisse in Vaux, Canton, Switzerland. Her research examines debates over the Ukrainian question among the Bolsheviks, and thus is especially timely for us today because it allows her to shed light on the claim by Vladimir Putin on the eve of his invasion that Ukraine is not a real state. She will also tell us something about the campaign in Switzerland building solidarity with the Russian anti-war movement. Hannah. Thank you very much. I hope you hear me well. Uh, thanks for the invitation and um, I hope my uh, intervention about the historical aspect of this conflict could help us to understand a little bit more what is uh, happening in Vladimir Putin's head right now. <laughs> so, uh, well, I will not spend more of your time. I will start and I would also like Shin to um, uh, show the first picture I I. I sent him uh, with the quotes of Vladimir Putin, so we, you can have quotes uh, and read them if there is a possibility to share. Um, so two weeks ago, in his uh, speech uh, dedicated to the military invasion of Ukraine, uh, Vladimir Putin exposed his vision of the world and the history in details. So he explained that uh, Ukrainian do not exist, their identity is kind of a pure invention, and that Ukrainian state is a mistake. More than that, um, it's, it's a crime. It's not just a mistake, it's a crime against the Russian state, the Russians who lost their empire because of Lenin and the Bolsheviks. Uh, Putin is particularly angry about the Lenin's concept of the uh, USSR as a federative state, uh, saying it was a time bomb that contributed to the breakup of the Soviet Union, and Putin perceived it uh, as uh, the biggest catastrophe of the 20th century. Uh, on the contrary, Putin analogies that Stalin had uh, renounced Lenin's ideas and made a centralized and totally 
unitary state in the borders of a former Russian empire. And Putin praises Stalin and only criticizes him for not having revised the Leninist principles. In other words, he criticizes him him uh, for not having totally abolished this formal independence of the Soviet republics. Um, Putin uh, portrays the Ukrainian state as a kind of uh, illegitimate creation, as an act of uh, theft from from Russia. I do not know if uh, if uh, among you there are people who agree with this kind of statements. I hope not. Uh, but even among those who do not question Ukrainians' historic right to independent statehood, it is common to assume that um, uh, its borders uh, are uh, are artificial in some way. Uh, many people are convinced that the southeastern regions of Ukraine should be considered as a part of Russia and, uh, that was accidentally gave or lost to Ukraine. And since to, uh, 2014, uh, Putin says it was the Bolsheviks and Lenin himself who would have attached historically Russian regions to Ukraine. So let's see if it has something to do with the real historical events. And I will ask if uh, Sheen could uh, share the, the second the second picture. I don't know if it is the case. <laughs> I hope you can see the second picture um, with maps. Um, so uh, it was the Bolsheviks who had to actually solve the problem of the borders between Russia and Ukraine and other Soviet states because they won the struggle for power uh, and to draw the boundaries of Ukraine uh, that was previously a part of a centralized empire it's not a, it's not an easy task so um at the, f uh, the first map uh, shows that actually in the 19th century, the territory of uh, present-day Ukraine was divided into three parts, into three so-called governorates general that were a form of uh, colonial administration aimed to consolidate power in the non-Russian territories. And these uh, uh, administration, uh, these colonial administrations uh, were uh, gradually abolished, but its uh, imperial heritage didn't simply disappear without leaving any traces. And actually, in the uh, 1917, um, there were three Soviet, main Soviet centers in Ukraine, in Kiev, in Odessa, and in Kharkov. So in the three biggest uh, Ukrainian cities. Um, and this division between these three regions largely overlaps uh, the map of uh, Tsarist uh, administrative uh, regions. Um, and actually the Bolshevik party, the cells of Bolshevik party appeared also uh, um, in, in the same manner, uh, appeared, uh, they appeared where the worker Soviets emerged. So in Kiev, in Odessa, and in Kharkiv. Um, 
uh, even if uh, Bolshevik party activists during the revolution, they were convinced that their ultimate goal is a world revolution uh, and they didn't want to consider national or, or cultural barriers, uh, these national cultural barriers existed. Uh, for example, Bolsheviks uh, were um, considered themselves as a representatives of workers and most of urban workers in in uh, in Ukraine were living in these big cities russian speaking big cities and as bolsheviks didn't aim to address the majority of the ukrainian population the peasants the question of ukraine was not on their agenda um, but there was also the third the third political actor it's uh, it's uh, ukrainian non bolshevik socialists and for them ukrainian territories uh, were those territories where ukrainians represented the majority of the population and defined in these terms ukraine actually included all the regions th that we can see on the map uh, almost all the regions that we can see on the map of uh, of um, contemporary Ukraine. So the eastern part, the southern part, uh, that are actually our objects of interest. Of course, they were perceived as uh, Ukrainian territories. Because even in these regions, uh, we had... Uh, of course, we had a few urban centers of imperial Russian domination, but these urban centers uh, were uh, still um, uh, uh, still uh, in the regions where a rural Ukrainian population had a very large majority over the urban Russian-speaking one. So... Um, uh, in, in when when uh, when the Bolsheviks in 1917 took power in the Russian capital in Ukraine in Kiev, it is was it was not them but the national Ukrainian movement who consolidated its position and to fight this uh, competitor, this political competitor, and to take power, Bolsheviks had to actually. Uh, cut the ground from under the feet of these uh, Ukrainian uh, politicians. This means they needed to present their own political project of Ukraine and they needed to adopt some national symbols, some national discourse, because the idea of Ukrainian state became uh, truly popular, capable of uh, mobilizing the, the popular masses. Uh, that's why and that's how the Soviet Republic of Ukraine was actually proclaimed uh, by by the by the Bolsheviks. So we are very far away from this so-called invention of Ukraine uh, that Vladimir Putin tries to to explain to us. It was not uh, invented by the Bolsheviks. On the contrary, the national idea was so dynamic and uh, uh, in 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 uh, in Ukraine that Bolshevik Bolshevik Bolsheviks had no other choice than to imitate it and then to follow it in practice. Um, and yeah, uh, actually there was 
uh, another another group of of Bolshevik um, uh, activists in in the eastern part of Ukraine uh, that uh, thought that that there was no longer any sense to maintain to to make a Soviet uh, Ukrainian state, um, and they wanted to actually to um, build uh, the uh, uh, future Soviet Union as a union of not of national republics but as a union of economic entities um so of course all these bolshevik militants had different uh, identities different cultural identities and even national uh, but beyond this uh, they had um, a disagreement uh, at the at, at that time a, a very uh, a big disagreement over the very definition of what socialist state must be what uh, what does it mean and uh, according to those uh, bolsheviks who opposed the idea of socialist ukraine um, they thought that uh, to give a national territory to give a national form to a Soviet state was a counter-revolutionary act in itself. Uh, on the contrary, they believed that the idea of establishing a state uh, based on the criterion of economic relevance was uh, rational and progressive. And uh, at that time, uh, in 1917, many, if not the majority of party members, believed that the socialist uh, revolution solves automatically the so-called national questions. And as one of them wrote, he wrote that creating Ukraine, even the Soviet one, would be a very reactionary decision. And by saying that, uh, he believed that he was defending a truly Marxist view of the world and of history. But in practice, uh, it was a defense of, of uh, the Russian Empire and of its colonial structures. How much time do I have? So I can conclude maybe. Four minutes. So the main question that remains is why actually Soviet authority, uh, authorities, even in a moment when they were almost losing the war, why they continued to insist that the Soviet Ukraine must be uh, must be a separate state and must include southern and uh, eastern regions. Uh, actually, uh, Bolsheviks, Bolshevik leaders began to realize that the Soviet Ukrainian state was uh, has some long-term benefits, and their strategy was actually to take the lead in this process, inevitable process of decolonization. And this anti-colonial popular will was indeed extremely strong in Ukraine, even, even more than in other regions of empire. That's why Bolshevik leaders and Vladimir Lenin, they opted for this national principle in the construction of the Soviet Union. Uh, they they hoped by attributing to uh, to a territory by attributing a territory to every uh, Soviet nation. They hoped to preserve this uh, territorial integrity of the former empire, but this policy of. Uh, 
state-sponsored nation building was carried out within the framework of a centralized state with an economic and administrative structure of uh, Kazakh colonial type. So this uh, knot of contradictions has never been really untied. And now it represents a significant challenge for many countries in this post-Soviet space who were deprived of real national, political and economic uh, sovereignty you, uh, up, 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 to, up until uh, 1991. And in the continuity with its long imperial history, uh, Putin's Russia continued to exercise its brutal dominance over its ex-colonies, uh, putting forward uh, some kind of irredentist uh, historical arguments to justify its imperialist policies. And now uh, Russian imperialism kills Ukrainian civilians and, and, and it's a reality we need to, and we need to face it. Uh, this, this is actually now an imperialism dri driven by the resentment of a fallen empire. It's a kind of an imperialism uh, of a state that do not have any alternative political or, or economical project to propose to the world. Uh, and uh, it can only rely on its military force. So they, this is also an imperialism um, convinced of uh, defending a conservative vision of the world, uh, refuting any democratic ideas and any attempt of democratic change is something Putin destroys every time without mercy, not only in Ukraine, but also in Georgia, Belarus, Kazakhstan, in Syria and in other countries. But above all, he destroys it in his own country. And um, far from the claims about uh, um, uh, I mean, far from the claims about the threat of NATO, which is a, a, a subject in, in itself, but it's indeed, for me, as I see it, it's um, against this democratic aspiration of people that Putin wages his, his personal war, and he wages he, this war for years already. And uh, the invasion of Ukraine, it is the culmination of this process uh, that the West didn't want to face up, actually. And this is the case of Western imperialist countries, as well as the case of Western anti-imperialist uh, intellectuals. Uh, uh, I think we were all blind and, and deaf, and we were kind of locked in our Western uh, centered vision. So thanks, uh, thanks for your attention, and I hope to. Um, I'm waiting for a discussion. Thank you very much. Thank you, Hannah, for those insightful comments. Our second speaker is Denis Pilash. Denis is a Ukrainian political scientist and left left activist. Based in Kiev, before the invasion, he has been forced to move to another city in Ukraine. He is a member of the social movement, Socialny Ruk, a democratic socialist organization in Ukraine, and serves on the editorial board of Commons, Journal of Social Criticism, a publication of the Ukrainian left that offers critical analysis on economics, politics, history, and culture. He's going to talk to us about current developments. Dennis. Indeed, we are now living in a real nightmare. Um, an existential horror 
uh, we we have a situation when uh, Russia's uh, right-wing conservative dictatorship unilaterally attacked uh, a neighboring country, and that already has brought uh, deaths of thousands of civilians, and actually tens of millions of lives have been broken. So many people were uh, they 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 had to flee to uh, another place. It's not just uh, that a million and a half uh, Ukrainians who uh, left the country, but also many more who who are now scattered uh, throughout the safer regions in Ukraine. But many also had no no option. They they couldn't leave, and they are now. Uh, many of these people are our uh, close friends, uh, the people whom we uh, care and love, uh, who are now under the shellings and uh, airstrikes of Russian military in Kiev, in Kharkiv, in other cities. Um, many couldn't leave uh, because they have their um, uh, elder relatives, because they have their uh, on. Um, different health issues because they have their pets and so on and so on. And uh, actually, uh, lots of cities, towns, uh, they have been, been um, almost destroyed by, by the Russian army. Izum, Shastya, Volnovakha, suburbs of Kiev. And um, uh, actually, um, there is another side of this aggression of Putin's aggression is that um, he didn't expect um, and his the circles uh, whom he represents they didn't expect such enormous resistance um, by both the Ukrainian armed forces and by the uh, local population alike when um, people uh, common people uh, mainly working class people, uh, both uh, Ukrainian, Ukrainian, Russian speaking, uh, or, or from, from some, some other uh, ethnic uh, communities as well. Uh, they, um, you could you see these uh, videos of uh, people in Kherson, in Litopol, in Berdyansk, in Enerpodar, uh, uh, the city with a uh, nuclear power plant. Um, in Karyukivka and uh, a lot, a lot, a lot of them uh, that are defying the Russian military, that are um, even uh, stopping uh, Russian armed vehicles with their bare hands, and uh, who um, are not afraid of standing up to armed uh, occupiers, uh, and that's a situation when. Um, Actually, Actually uh, this, this uh, what, what Hanna has previously described, this uh, Putinist uh, narrative that um, if you listen to his warmongering speeches, he um, often invokes uh, um, the socialist revolution, Bolsheviks, uh, Lenin personally, as uh, uh, culprits of uh, um, the mere existence of Ukraine. And he denies uh, any kind of subjectivity, any kind of agency of the Ukrainian people. So his um, 
his agenda it's really a continuation of this uh, great Russian chauvinism uh, and uh, czarist imperialism in some some way he acts as uh, um, Nicholas I was called the gendarme of Europe uh, for crushing revolutions throughout the continent and uh, he also acts as um, uh, this policeman in his sphere of influence um, suppressing uh, protests in um, Kazakhstan, in Belarus, and so on. And um, in, 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 actually, we, we have a situation that is, um, in, in some ways, um, um, similar to um, one of, to another uh, great, not great, but um, notorious, uh, actually, um, war crime of 21st century. That was a 2003 invasion of Iraq. And just as uh, George W. Bush and uh, Tony Blair and their satellites um, felt that they will, will um, hold on their impunity for um, the aggression and for um, just attacking um, uh, a country with uh, without thinking about uh, long-term consequences and bringing around a disaster for uh, the entire region. This was the case with uh, the Russian aggression against Ukraine. So um, we got this um, situation that is now uh, already um, disastrous, already catastrophic. Uh, that brought um, enormous suffering and uh, uh, death in, in Ukraine, but uh, that has also this potential of uh, spl spilling into uh, something even worse for uh, the entire world. So this um, um, using threats of uh, nuclear war and so on. So uh, I think that there is uh, another uh, parallel that um, has to be drawn with uh, that uh, another invasion uh, almost two, two decades ago, uh, the, um, the anti-war movement. So uh, first of all, it's about the, uh, the aid and uh, supporting Ukrainian resistance and Ukrainian people. Uh, humanitarian aid, humanitarian supplies, uh, medicine, and so on, uh, and also uh, supporting um, Ukrainians uh, who um, ma many of them uh, they are now we are now doing like uh, um, uh, huge uh, solidarity projects, uh, establishing solidarity networks, and many people uh, went volunteering into different initiatives. Uh, it's not just about the military or uh, territorial self self defense. It's, it's also about um, uh, relieving those who are uh, who were affected by by the war. Um, and this transcends to uh, another question of aiding um, uh, refugees from Ukraine. That means uh, all refugees, uh, regardless of uh, their citizenship of. Uh, uh, some other uh, specifications. Uh, and it means also uh, a debate about uh, the plight of uh, the millions of refugees throughout the world. And uh, uh, by providing um, 
all support for um, Ukrainian refugees. We also need to uh, consider um, all that uh, discrimination, xenophobia, and racism that was uh, that refugees throughout the world are facing every every day. Uh, in order to rebuild the country, in order to uh, uh, give the opportunity to uh, resist and to overcome, uh, another important uh, demand is uh, cancelling Ukraine's debt. Because uh, Ukraine, as many countries, especially in the global south, uh, were trapped in this vicious circle of uh, debt, um, gaining more and more these IMF loans on um, austerity programs. And, uh, um, well, this, uh, this business as usual, it uh, leads to uh, more, more suffering and more uh, deadlocks. Uh, in order to uh, restore um, the possibilities for Ukrainians and for, for the country as a whole, um, we need a serious, uh, again, uh, steps on um, relieving Ukrainian uh, foreign debt. Uh, again, when we speak about um, pressure uh, put on Russia, um, there were already these sanctions against Russian oligarchs, uh, but still they are not enough because um, actually um, Russian oligarchs, Ukrainian oligarchs and the global capitalist class as such, it uses all the loopholes uh, that are provided by the existing uh, system of tax havens offshore capitalism and so on. So it's again about uh, dismantling uh, this uh, system that um, uh, that uh, was uh, actually uh, uh, helping uh, the, the, the capitalist classes uh, to rob their uh, own countries, to rob other countries and to uh, put this uh, money to um, tax havens. Uh, again, this needs a complete redrawal of uh, the global system as well. Um, again, when we speak about um, uh, such regimes as Putin's regime in Russia or um, another moderate regimes as uh, Saudi Ar Arabia waging their own war in Yemen, um, while they are very dependent on uh, um, these fossil fuel exports. And again, um, Europe is now considering uh, a complete uh, withdrawal from uh, Russian oil and gas. And this brings us to another uh, consideration about um, all these issues uh, of um, climate disaster, climate justice, um, uh, Green New Deal, and possibly much more radical uh, eco-socialist transformations that are needed in order to preserve um, not just uh, um, those countries that are now under um, attack uh, of this uh, fossil fuel uh, authoritarian regimes, but uh, the humanity as a whole. Uh, then, uh, of course, uh, there is this important issue of um, that we cannot guarantee stability in for Ukraine and for the region as a whole. 
when uh, if the current regime in Moscow uh, is still going on. So um, I, I think that this was really a moment of um, revelation when many uh, people who were trapped into this so-called anti-imperialist, but actually uh, um, turning blind eye on uh, some other imperialisms uh, other than uh, Western one um, way of thinking. Uh, and they they realized how uh, dangerous uh, that um, authoritarian regime in Russia is for its own citizens and for um, the people across the world. Uh, however, pro probably it was too too late. But uh, still, uh, now we need to uh, put uh, all political pressure on um, Russian regime, and of course, to um, to overthrow him, overthrow it. It's uh, uh, a task for the, the Russians themselves. And I must say that though mm, I um, I was sure in my comrades uh, in uh, in Russia who are most of them from socialist uh, anarchist or uh, democratic milieu who were protesting um, since the first days on, in the streets and many of them were among these thousands who were arrested. However, they themselves are very pessimistic, they are very skeptical and they say that so uh, there is no uh, mass enthusiasm uh, about this uh, another Putin's war uh, however, um, the society is uh, very passive and um, they are far from uh, this uh, wishful thinking scenario when, um, again, as Nicholas II started a small victorious war uh, against Japan that um, resulted in um, some miserable defeat, failure, and then um, the first Russian Revolution, uh, and many were Many now are um, hoping for some some kind of this scenario in in Russia, uh, but it cannot be done by some um, mechanistic or miraculous um, steps. It's really um, a long way forward, and uh, um, still we we cannot say something. Uh, yeah, we we cannot say something. Uh, certain about the prospects of uh, this anti-war movement in Russia, especially in this situation of complete suppression and uh, long-term uh, prison sentences that are, uh, many, many of these people will be facing. But anyway, um, I thank on behalf of uh, our organization, um, uh, so Social Movement and uh, our uh, Commons Journal, um, to all international comrades, um, especially on the left, who uh, were um, showing their solidarity and their help in, in these days. Thanks. If you're enjoying the Haymarket Live series, you'll also be interested in a new book from Haymarket, Angela Davis, an autobiography. Featuring a substantial new introduction by the author, Angela Davis, an autobiography, is a classic account of a life in struggle. Angela Davis has been a political activist at the cutting edge of the black liberation, feminist, queer, and prison abolitionist movements for more than 50 years. First published and edited by Toni Morrison in 1974, 
Angela Davis, an autobiography, is a powerful and commanding account of her early years of political activity. With warmth, brilliance, humor, and conviction, Davis describes her journey from a childhood on Dynamite Hill in Birmingham, Alabama, to one of the most significant political trials of the century. From her political activity in a New York high school, to her work with the U.S. Communist Party, the Black Panther Party, and the Soledad Brothers, and from the faculty of the philosophy department at UCLA to the FBI's list of the 10 most wanted fugitives. Find Angela Davis, an autobiography at haymarketbooks.org. Thank you, Dennis, for that powerful presentation. Our final speaker is Catherine Samari. Catherine is an economist by training and was, until her retirement, a lecturer at Dauphine University in Paris. She is the author of Yugoslavia Dismembered. She's a frequent contributor to Le Monde Diplomatique and is associated with the journal and network Balkanology. She's a member of the Scientific Council of Attac France and serves on the International Committee of the Fourth International. Catherine is going to speak about the response of the international left to the Ukraine crisis. Catherine. First of all, thank you very much for organizing this uh, this meeting. Uh, I'm uh, currently involved uh, in France and in Europe uh, for the uh, building of the equivalent of uh, the British uh, collective, which uh, uh, on the Solidarity Ukraine campaign, and um, and also to try and build uh, at not only European, uh, but uh, and when I when I say European, I mean the continent, <laughs> uh, not European Union, uh, and not only people inside the European Union, but on the continent and up to Russia. Ukraine, of course, but also at uh, a broader level on all continent, the building of what you try to to uh, to uh, to build now here, that is the building of uh, from below of an, uh, an anti-imperialist uh, movement, which first urgent aim is to help Ukrainian resistance, of course, and defeat Putin. Um, I, I, I want to, to say, of course, that the, I have to present the disagreements uh, and debates which are occurring among the left. And by my um, purpose in doing that is uh, not for futile polemics, but to engage uh, in a real um, effort um, using the uh, impressive impact of uh, Ukraine resistance in that war to change uh, uh, to change even the um, situation among the international left, its weakness, and uh, to engage in a real front uh, in uh, the building of a common uh, effort uh, to defeat Putin's and in so doing also uh, defeat all capitalist and imperialist uh, powers, so building something which is not a short-term issue. Some roots of the disagreements, existing disagreements, uh, are, uh, of course, um, uh, long-term, not uh, linked uh, only to, to, the, to the war and can could be changed uh, through the war. Um, 
and uh, I, I was I want to begin uh, with uh, uh, these uh, long-term uh, disagreements behind uh, the, the the need of updating um, different views uh, first. Uh, I will not develop, but behind what Anna said and also uh, Dennis, I mean, there is uh, still uh, and there were um, uh, strong disagreements at the moment of the, the Bolshevik revolutions on national issues, uh, Marxist and national issues and different views. And those questions are to be updated. And there is an, a very impressive work made by Ukrainian Marxists on what were the archives and the, the real debate that Marxist Ukrainian tried to uh, put forward at the time of the October Revolution um, and within the Comintern. This has to be popularized and debated. And uh, updated is not only a question of Ukrainian, it's both most broader issue on the concept of uh, Marxist and socialist uh, transformation uh, combined with uh, not only class exploitation, but different forms of oppressions uh, combined uh, within um, a class uh, exploitation. Second, of course, there was different long-term uh, divisions among the left uh, about uh, USSR and um, and Stalinist rule. And putting uh, a declaration which Anna quoted, I mean, uh, help, uh, help, uh, precisely like also Denis said, I, help stressing. Uh, the, the key position that Putin is attacking, that is Leninist uh, uh, recognition of the right of self-determination of nations uh, against great uh, Russian uh, behaviors and uh, and uh, uh, thinking within the Bolshevik movement itself, as it has been said, and uh, against uh, and um, uh, of course, uh, there is a broad and, and, and long-term um, great Russian ideology, chauvinism, which uh, also crossed the, the, the left, a part of the left. Um, and of course, Putin is um, uh, uh, in agreement with uh, Stalin non-respect about that. And of course, there was an attempt of Ukrainization of Ukraine under Lenin's rule, but then the great Russian policy against Ukraine under Stalin's uh, uh, domination. Uh, third, of course, um, but I must say that, uh, uh, of course, um, the far right in Ukraine and elsewhere also um, is against uh, the Lenin's kind of uh, recognition of equalitarian uh, right of nations and uh, self-determination. And um, and uh, 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 this anti-Leninist Putin's rule is supported by um, part of uh, uh, part of the uh, far right in, in in the world and in Ukraine too. Uh, see, uh, there is uh, of course the debates which uh, um, occurred among the left about the post-Soviet phase, that is uh, after 1989 and 91 up today. Um, and this is not homogeneous. And uh, uh, of course, uh, debates must uh, deepen uh, debate. But first, Ukraine to NATO, third, Russia. Uh, about Ukraine, 
uh, I remember, I remind, of course, to everyone uh, uh, listening to us, uh, you here uh, know that very well, that in 1991, there was a vote uh, on self-determination in Ukraine, uh, which was building a real nation state. And it's, of course, fragile. Um, uh, and it didn't solve all the, the uh, conflicting view of the past, uh, anti-Stalinist and anti-fascist combined uh, 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 debate are needed. Um, and it, uh, but uh, there, there was um, more than 80% everywhere, up to 80% votes, including in the, the Donbass region and including, uh, even if it was a lower level of uh, vote uh, of uh, support for independence, but in including in, in Crimea, uh, there was uh, nearly 60% in favor of independence, including that, by the way, the Tatar uh, from Crimea, which had been repressed by, by Stalin. Um, and um, even uh, even if there are um, a discussion in the Ukrainian society um, about uh, the organization of that society, um, uh, both on linguistic aspect, on um, uh, territorialization of it, it's it's the issue to be dealt with by Ukrainian themselves, not to be decided outside and not to be imposed by any external rule. And uh, so, and uh, I, I must uh, remind also uh, first, of course, that. Uh, in that period between 91 and uh, and today uh, there is another treaty it was said that uh, um, putin did not respect that that was uh, vote that was the treaty uh, on nuclear uh, weapons uh, respecting uh, in 1996 in Russia uh, accepted uh, with uh, uh, to uh, respect the frontier of Ukraine uh, when uh, Ukraine and Belarus and, and Kazakhstan gave back uh, to uh, Russia the nuclear uh, arms. So this was not respected by by Putin, and of course uh, uh, Ukraine took to big crisis, uh, economic crisis the post-Soviet crisis, but also the crisis in 2008-2009, and uh, to uh, political conflict, uh, the one which, were, which was described by Putin and the part of the left as a colored revolution in 2004, Putin aside uh, uh, for the first time Yakunovich, but uh, after the economic crisis uh, of 2008 and nine. Yakunovich came back through elections, uh, but and uh, for a, a supposedly a neutral Ukraine, uh, and uh, he, he was uh, confronted to pressures uh, from um, uh, Russian great power and also IMF and United um, to European Union uh, on the question of the debt issue. That's why I, I fully, completely support uh, Denis' insistence on the issue of the debt, uh, because that was, of course, uh, an issue for the uh, events in 2013 and, and 14. But 
uh, Yakunovich uh, power who, who, who was uh, clearly transformed into an oligarchic and repressive and uh, um, uh, kind of, of of power decided by himself uh, and not putting the question of uh, how to deal with the debt uh, confronted to the IMF or to the Russian pressure through a democratic process. And that was the, re the deep reason of his fall, not of uh, not a fascist coup. Uh, then, uh, of course, I I'll come back on that, but there was, of course, different views among the, the left on the transformation of NATO, which is still a debate uh, today. Um, uh, of course, um, there was an uh, illegitimate, politically illegitimate um, main, uh, maintenance of uh, NATO after the dissolution of the Warsaw Pact in uh, 1991. And there was that uh, NATO extension. Uh, was it against Russia? And is it the cause of the war? Certainly not. Um, uh, first of all, I must stress that um, um, uh, there, 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 there were different phases. And during the 90s, that is during uh, Yeltsin uh, reign, uh, Russia was like a comprador bourgeoisie in a not so bad relationship with international capital and including NATO and was in the partnership with NATO. Yeah. And um, uh, uh, but there was a, a turn towards uh, what has been called a new form of Cold War in the uh, uh, after 1999 and the uh, the, the two uh, the, the the years of Putin uh, up to now. Uh, it's uh, both a combination of transformation in the world order and the, the, the Yugoslav war, of course, which was used by um, U.S. Uh, power and, and NATO to consolidate itself uh, and to maintain and extend. Uh, but uh, Putin's uh, line is not uh, only or not even, uh, first of all, a defensive at all, uh, a defensive position. It is an offensive um, imperial and great Russian policies of consolidation of uh, strong states, both internally and internationally, not for defensive, but for uh, increasing of uh, what can be called a uh, regional uh, new uh, imperialist uh, power um, um, uh, using uh, what occurred in particular, well, first of all, in, che in Chechenia, it was not a, a, an issue linked with NATO, but it was a great Russian uh, destructive war. Uh, secondly, there was the, uh, to, to give on the example you know, of the recent uh, uh, period, the, the event in Belarus, uh, and uh, uh, Lukashenko was asking for Putin's help uh, in front of uh, upsurge against his uh, own rule. And this has been a, a very recent turn towards the consolidation of a great Russian power in the region with its uh, military dimension. And this military dimensions uh, has also to be stressed that is linked to the Euro-Asiatic uh, project of building uh, an economic union uh, around Russia, 
this uh, there is the organization of the treaty for uh, collect, uh, 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 collective security around Russia, which intervened in the recent events of Kazakhstan, um, protecting, by the way, uh, foreign ownership there, uh, not only Russian, uh, Kazakhstan, uh, but also, uh, of course, uh, Western, uh, uh, Western uh, uh, capitalists there against uh, working class upsurge. Uh, which uh, we uh, of course have to support. So this is uh, these are the, the the context of real uh, uh, great uh, great Russian uh, offensive uh, policies, and probably at the eve of uh, its intervention in February, Putin thought that first uh, American uh, NATO. Uh, um, U.S.-led NATO uh, was uh, weak because of Afghanistan defeat. Second, that it was uh, divided because of division on gas issue in Europe. And third, uh, Russia, uh, 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 Russia, uh, uh, Putin's Russia uh, was supposed to be stronger, and then it could push forward, put forward this extraordinary reactionary Great Russian uh, narrative against the very existence of Ukraine identity, history, and and national uh, national reality. Uh, of course. Um, uh, well, then I must uh, hurry a little bit. Uh, um, the issue of 2014 left an heritage of dual view uh, among the left. First one, a democratic movement, uh, pro-European uh, uh, Union or something like that, which is the uh, dominant uh, uh, narrative in the European Union. And comrade of... Uh, uh, social movement in Ukraine, uh, of course, uh, contested that they, they could both participate to what was uh, socially and, and democratically important in Maidan, but were also confronted to its limits and conflicts with the fascist groups and so on. So it's not an easy uh, uh, situation, but it was not a fascist coup. It was a defeat of Yanukovych because of its own policy, policy first of all. Uh, in, including if uh, uh, far-right do exist, like the, it exists in France, by the way, with much more power in Parliament than in, Ukra than in Ukraine. So the war is changing, and I finish this second, last part, the war is changing rapidly position situation. Uh, some part of the left initially uh, still support Putin against NATO, uh, and say nothing on Ukraine because of uh, weakness I, I already uh, quoted before. Um, but there is an increasing um, uh, uh, part of the left which is denouncing the war and invasion with a different argu argument. First, there is uh, Jaurès' pacifism against war, like in the war, war, war uh, one. So I must uh, uh, try and stop now, but I must say that there is precisely an opposition, and I finish on that, opposition to this argument uh, with the idea that the, the situation is, uh, is not uh, that we have only to fight against our own imperialist powers in, in different countries, uh, but we, are, we have to link and combine um, uh, NATO uh, 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 fundamental uh, 
um, uh, fight for the defeat of Putin's and Russian aggression, but combined also for a new uh, order uh, and um, uh, with the concrete uh, demands which Denis has put forward that I completely support with the idea of to build an anti-imperialist European and global movement from below uh, centered uh, on uh, uh, the defense of autonomous position, condemn, condemnation of Russian aggression, preserve the possibility of a truly independent Ukraine uh, left, refound an internationalism uh, capable of confronting and defeating both uh, the force of social and environment, environmental destruction uh, in the capital, but also immediately supporting the need for self-defense, including military self-defense of Ukrainian resistance, while opposing budgets of um, NATO and, and consolidation of NATO. I, I stop there. Thank you very much for your patience. Thank you, Catherine. Um, okay, so um, I'm going to ask um, a, a question uh, to each of you, and then I'm going to turn to the questions from the audience. Um, my first question is for Hannah. Could you tell us something about the Russian-speaking population of Ukraine? That is, do they see themselves as part of the distinct country of Ukraine, Ukrainians, or do they think of themselves as Russians? So do you want me to answer right now? That's right. <laughs> okay. Yes. Uh, this is not an easy question. Well, uh, in a historical perspective, as I said, uh, we need to face and to understand the colonial heritage of uh, the Russian Empire on the territory of uh, contemporary Ukraine. Uh, the linguistic problem in Ukraine, the linguistic difference, the uh, use of Russian and Ukrainian language is not, um, is not uh, just geographical. There is not just geographical difference, but it's a difference of, uh, between urban and rural population, uh, mostly. And for, for decades and for centuries, Ukrainian language was perceived as a language of poor peasants, illiterate, and the language of elites, the language of social ascension was, uh, was Russian. And, uh, um, even if there was some, uh, promoting uh, na uh, national policies uh, in Soviet Union, promoting Ukrainian language and culture. Uh, it was very, the situation was not radically different from the previous time. Say, uh, I, I'm just trying to say that Russian language was uh, a, long, a language that uh, was seen and perceived and de facto was the language uh, that... Um, permitted that gave the possibility to people to, to have a social ascension and not the Ukrainian language. So uh, there is kind of um, a very, um, how to say, um, uh, the, the attitude from the Russian speaking population uh, in from Russia uh, to Ukraine and Ukrainian language is uh, not uh, the uh, equal perception. It's a perception from uh, 
some somebody who is above to, uh, to directed to somebody who is below uh, and so we need to understand this aspect and in um, me as i was born and grown up in uh, independent ukraine uh, and i had uh, my uh, scholarship uh, partly in ukrainian uh, people of my age or, and of my generation don't have any problem using both languages and most of us in the whole ukraine east and west we are using and can use both and actually doing that without any problem and it it doesn't uh, provoke any conflict of identity or a conflict between people um, so uh, and with the Russian aggression the start of Russian aggression in 2014 uh, more and more of a Ukrainian Russian speaking population does it, it doesn't identify itself um, based on their language but based on their a civic Ukrainian identity. And I think it will be more and more the case because Putin now is bombing Russian-speaking population in Russian-speaking cities like Kharkiv, like Mariupol, like, I mean, most of the big cities in Ukraine, there are a lot of Russian-speaking people there. And they are opposing uh, vigorously, they are opposing uh, Russian occupants uh, with like bare-handed trying to stop their tanks, you know, and and this is also the great um, danger for Putin as that Russian soldiers going to occupy Ukraine, they are speaking the same language as people living there, so they can identify themselves to the Ukrainian population very easily. These are the people who can speak the same language. Uh, uh, yeah, I think, I hope I answered partially on the question, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And sorry for my English. I, it's not a language that I use every, every day in a normal life. My Ukrainian is much worse. <laughs> um, uh, Dennis, um, you told us what you thought um, the the Western powers should do now. What might they have done over the past years to have made this current war less likely? Okay, again, a very complex question. Uh, well, first of all, I was speaking again uh, not so much about the uh, the governments, but but about uh, the peoples, because actually I think that a meaningful change can be brought only by this pressure from below. Uh, and actually, we saw that um, all great powers, um, including those on the West, they uh, were uh, quite convenient with uh, uh, considering Ukraine and um, all these countries um, as uh, not so something not so important and not so uh, um, uh, deserving its own agency. So uh, again, uh, in these dealings, um, it was pretty much about um, what they denied that they are they aren't um, uh, solving the fate of Ukraine without Ukraine. However, um, that was uh, the goal of Putin, and uh, many in the West were also eager to uh, march into it. And again, they were guided by their uh, own uh, economic interests, uh, the interests to preserve, uh, for instance. Um, 
uh, affordable uh, fossil fuels from Russia and so on uh, to continue business as usual with with Russia. Uh, And again, it was a half-baked position uh, on... um, uh, that aggressive uh, actions of Russia uh, that were already uh, taken in uh, 2014, like the annexation of Crimea and uh, um, uh, fueling the um, war in Donbass. So uh, actually, um, I think that there is now a more or less common point that um, th- there was a failure by this collective West, uh, but again, it's uh, due to the nature of, of, of these governments um, as well. And uh, sometimes, now, even now, you can hear um, President Zelensky's rant, rant about uh, um, some passivity, as he perceives from, from the West, or uh, that um, the West is okay for um, Ukrainians dying. Uh, but uh, really um, uh, choosing not to uh, endanger uh, its own interests. Um, so it's it's again about all these dealings. And here we can again invoke this problem of this so-called anti-imperialism of the fools that some of our comrades um, uh, were referencing in their articles recently. I recommend Rasbilus uh, and uh, Vladimir Artyuk's recent articles. And uh, this the reaction of even part of the progressive forces that, for instance, when we um, demanded in our organization, we were considering that maybe uh, UN peacekeepers uh, could be a, a barrier from um, engraving this conflict further. Um, and we were met with the claims that UN, UN peacekeeping forces imperialist per se. At the same time, these uh, same people uh, were okay with um, leaders of uh, great states, uh, great powers, um, doing their dealings behind closed doors and um, uh, also um, uh, deciding the fate of uh, Ukraine and other countries. So uh, don't be confused. The first one is imperialism. The second one is diplomacy. So uh, this is really a, a broken logic that uh, I, I think that now we, we need to uh, uh, do a lot of um, work on these uh, mistakes that were done by uh, many of our comrades. Thank you. Thanks. Um, Catherine, um, that some in the, on the left in the past were apologists for the Soviet Union was awful, but at least the Soviet Union claimed to be a worker state. But today, Russia is one of the world's most unequal and reactionary states. So why does Russia still enjoy support in some left circles? Uh, the first... Well, I think um, uh, first there is there was the uh, kind of neocompist position based on the following uh, discourse that is uh, choose what is the the dominant 
enemy, the main enemy, our own enemy. The main enemy is imperialism, uh, classic, classical imperialism. It's U.S., which is, even if it is in crisis, uh, it's still dominant. It is the first power, even military power and so on. So then the, there is that kind of narrative. Um, of course, we have to denounce the U.S. imperialist and NATO imperialist interventions in the world. But um, uh, secondly, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So that there is a kind of uh, uh, non-critical approach, at least, uh, towards uh, Putin's Russia, um, considered as able to resist the main enemy and then, therefore becoming a kind of friend. There is even worse, of course, approach that is... This when I say neocampist, campist means uh, the choice of a camp. Uh, what is uh, my enemy, main enemy? And if if you are in the anti-US uh, uh, camp, you say nothing. You don't criticize anything about uh, the, the 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 power that you support. So nothing is said of what was uh, Putin's policy in Syria. Uh, nothing has been said about what was putting, uh, Putin's policy in Chechnya. Nothing has, has been said about Putin's policy, uh, as I quoted in Belarus, and so on. So, of course, this view depends on where you have, and there is also uh, probably in Latin America and in Africa because of what is U.S. policy, I mean, th there is that sentiment. So we have to fight against that kind of. Uh, uh, pos position, um, and of course there is a, 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 broad, a, a broad a um, part of ignorance uh, about the reality of the internal socio-economical and political change in 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 Russia itself. Uh, uh, which is a real uh, offensive against the workers, against uh, the, the, the different populations, and with a very radical oppression. And I hope, I do hope, uh, that the, 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 the situation now, uh, where there is, in cont uh, contrary to the situation after the... Um, annex annexion, annexation of uh, uh, Crimea, there is now the uh, real beginning of an anti-war movement in Russia. And uh, I, I, I do hope, um, and, and, and with position in university, position in different professions, artists, intellectuals, and also trade unions, and beginning, be, beginning of the building of a, 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 a very difficult, because under repression, but very difficult, but important resistance. And what has been said just before by Anna about uh, the soldiers, the young soldiers sent, I think is a key issue. Where, by the way, women, which uh, can play a key role, one of the uh, dominant resistance within Russia is among women, like it was the case in Belarus, by the way. But when, when soldiers come back from Ukraine or when soldiers are killed uh, in a war where they did not know where they were going they thought they were fighting fascists there and when well, when they were when they will come back in in Russia it will change a lot about the perception of what, of what is really 
uh, uh, Putin's war. I, I, I do believe, I do hope. Um, thank you. Um, so we have a, a, quite a few questions in the chat um, and not much time. Um, so um, I'll throw out a question and um, any one of you can answer it, but um, try to keep it very short so we can get to a bunch of them. Um, the first uh, question uh, asks, what is the role of anarchists in the struggle in Ukraine? Anyone like to take that? Uh, well, I, I, I can. Uh, um, still, given, given the uh, rather uh, poor situation of uh, anarchist as in general uh, leftist movement in Ukraine and in Eastern Europe in general, um, uh, they, the people whom I know, they they do uh, lots of lots of uh, activities now, and they uh, initiated several initiate uh, several um, solidarity groups and solidarity networks. Um, some of them um, enlisted to um, this uh, territorial self-defense. Uh, uh, others uh, uh, have been providing um, humanitarian aid, uh, donating blood, uh, and um, uh, keeping things running in uh, the cities that are now under uh, Russian attacks. Um, so I think that Though, though the, the number and the uh, general mood of um, uh, the anarchist movement here was uh, rather low, uh, but um, they are now uh, trying to do their best to um, help the people. How can Ukrainian socialists outmaneuver the increasingly armed Ukrainian ultra-far-right? If no one, then again, I'll have to do it. Uh, well, that's that's an issue. And uh, okay, so here we have to uh, confront both um, both pictures that are dominant in um, uh, narratives in the West. The first one that is. Uh, just don't playing uh, downplaying the problem of the far right in Ukraine, saying they have uh, very low uh, electoral support, and that's true. They have no uh, real mass social base. They are um, deeply unpopular in the majority of uh, Ukrainian population. Um, but the, and the other one is about uh, when speaking of Ukraine, you. Um, you have this synonymous uh, situation. Ukraine equals uh, fascism, equals Azov Battalion, and so on and so on. Um, the reality is much more complex. And again, though uh, the far right is uh, weak electorally, uh, but it has its um, um, institutions and it uh, has, of course, uh, armed people. Um, even those countries in Europe where the far right uh, uh, gets um, enormous uh, results on the elections, um, they of course don't have this um, situation with with armed groups. Um, uh, however, um, what's what's important to emphasize that um, 
to deal with uh, with this problem, with this challenge, is uh, uh, something that uh, needs to be done by uh, Ukrainian society itself. And uh, when someone is still uh, going on this Russian propaganda that uh, the incursion of Putin's forces uh, to Ukraine uh, is somehow bringing on denazification, uh, well, um, it's uh, not just a blatant lie, it's something that is opposite to the reality. Of course, first of all, uh, the right-wing Russian regime that is uh, worshipped by, uh, I think, majority of uh, European far right. Um, and uh, even when it invokes these uh, mantras of anti-fascism, uh, it's again, uh, just prior to the invasion, uh, Putin was uh, meeting with such great anti-fascists as uh, Viktor Orban from Hungary and Jair Bolsonaro from Brazil. And uh, they are going to, to hold a, an anti-fascist congress in half a year. And uh, many uh, prominent anti-fascists will be also featured like uh, the the government of Saudi Arabia and Narendra Modi from India. Uh, so. You, you can um, see the level of this uh, anti-fascism. But the problem is that it's precisely this uh, situation of war and Russian aggression that fuels uh, the Ukrainian far right and that gives it uh, le legitimacy and that gives it arms. Uh, and uh, so it's uh, really um, the, the Russian invasion is... Uh, doing something opposite to denazification. It uh, really um, uh, boosts uh, this legitimacy of, of the far right, because actually when you have a society in uh, any society, uh, the majority of people don't, war, uh, don't want war. Actually, it's this minority of uh, ultra-nationalists who are somehow uh, dreaming of great war and going to Valhalla and so on. Um, and now they have the opportunity and they, now they have uh, the opportunity to present themselves to um, the general population as uh, the great um, warriors and the great defenders of, uh, of the motherland. Um, so um, I genuinely, I, I don't have an answer <laughs> how, how we can... Um, outmaneuver it but uh what what uh, gives me hope is that uh, even in this situation of fueling nationalist uh, um, aspirations in in the countries in the times of war you see that the real and most significant resistance comes from the people who are uh, quite far from all this uh, nationalist and uh, yeah. far right stuff. It's it's just these common people, um, men and women who uh, Russian and Ukrainian speaking, who are um, standing up to the Russian aggression and uh, um, the, the the number of the the ultra nationalists in in this uh, uh, resistance. It's really just a. a, a drop in the, in the sea so um uh, I, I i still hope for uh self-organization of people besides this um, my hysteria though it would be quite quite difficult thank you for that um 
what are the most helpful nonviolent actions we can take to support an end to this war? Can I say something? But, yeah, I, I I do believe that. Uh, well, there are uh, the issue of. Uh, the debt, the issue of refugees, and the, deep, the the issue of concrete linked uh, supporting the resistance huh? uh, on Pacific uh, aspect. I, I I do believe that of course we have to to uh, to help against uh, all discrimination on the refugee issue, but uh, the the fight to to suppress. The debt of Ukraine is is very important as a contribution to also bring in uh, some concrete uh, material aid for the population, and I I personally would would feel that all form of fraternization uh, with uh, Russian soldiers and with the Russian opposition would be absolutely decisive. I I'll, will stress this. Um, okay, we just have a few minutes left, and so I'd like to give you each a chance to take, um, I guess it's a minute and a half to uh, sum up or say anything that uh, you felt you didn't have an opportunity to say. Um, uh, Hannah, would you like to start? Yeah, I would like to start uh, with a little comment actually about um, the previous question how we can help being in uh, another country in USA or in Europe what is our uh, tools uh, to actually end this war being not in Ukraine and not in Russia um, uh, here in Switzerland I'm actually living now and studying here in Switzerland where organized the committee of solidarity with Ukrainian people and with the um, anti-war movement uh, in Russia and uh, it's quite a, a large um, committee which involves many uh, political and non-political organiza organization so we choose some uh, some uh, points like some uh, statements on which we could all agree and we can um, express our so solidarity in a, in a practical way so these statements are uh, firstly, the complete withdrawal of Russian troops from all Ukrainian territory. These are the, something which we can agree, many, many organizations can agree on. Um, also, uh, it's, um, we are claiming for, a, for a, to receive uh, to open borders for all the refugees without discrimination of uh, their country of provenience, without discrimination based on their passport or uh, nationality. Uh, we're also claiming the solidarity with Russian opponents of Putin's war. And uh, the uh, main uh, or the particularly important claim for, for uh, countries like Switzerland but also for countries like USA and Great Britain is to uh, ask for to block the assets uh, linked to the Putin regime which are housed in this uh, in banks and had institution which have their headquarters in in, in European countries um, yeah so it's these countries plays a central role for Russian elites and uh, uh, their uh, big fortunes of the Russian oligarchs are kept safe in this in this um, 
in these banks. So uh, we ca- uh, the uh, central point for me is to understand that Putin is waging this war to protect the interests of his uh, his clan of the rich oligarchs who are tr- who are ready to uh, make. Uh, all possible bar- barbarism, all possible wars just to continue to exploit uh, and to continue to gain billions on the uh, blood of Russian and Ukrainian people. So for now in, in Europe, in the USA, I think one of the central points is to ask to block their assets. Thank you. Uh, okay, I, I think that um, uh, Hannah has... Um listed the main points uh, already. Uh, I was also uh, suggesting that maybe my comrade Denis can also say something or or not. No. Okay. So, um, uh, yeah, I I would just reassure that uh, we need uh, this these questions um, like the Aid for Ukrainians uh, open borders, um, um, uh, the uh, cancellation of Ukrainian debt, uh, seizing the assets of uh, Russian oligarchs and the uh, figures from uh, Russian ruling class. Uh, well, yeah, they have to be addressed very uh, in a very uh, swift way and very soon, because uh, every day we. We uh, are witnessing uh, more and more uh, deaths of uh, our friends, our relatives, and uh, one of the worst scenarios that we can imagine now, aside from apparently nuclear war, is uh, that this conflict will uh, drag to something really uh, long um, uh, and uh, exhausting that will... uh, completely uh, destroy um, the lives of uh, so many people. So uh, we need uh, this uh, maximum assistance in these issues right now. And um, we need also, actually, I I, I was quite late to um, read all, all the questions, but I'm really grateful for for them, and I hope that I'll uh, I'll be able to address them. Maybe personally, uh, you can write me, uh, find me on some social media, and uh, put it. Um, but really, I'm grateful for um, being here and for uh, having people who. Uh, really believe in a uh, left-wing progressive socialist, uh, democratic socialist um, uh, prospects for um, Ukraine and the the whole world. So um, let's um, do our best to uh, stop this war and to uh, bring peace for um, Ukrainian people and for uh, all other um, communities on, on our planet as well. Thank you, Dennis. Catherine. Many things uh, have been said, so I will only stress two points. The first that I, uh, I'm, I'm sure that we are confronted to the need of an immediate, urgent, concrete aid in which we must evolve 
the broadest as possible of uh, trade unions, political activist associations, which at least uh, agree uh, to support uh, Ukrainian against an aggressive war, even if there are differences. Uh, and I do believe there is the need to, to build that front on concrete solidarity and on, at the very same time permit debate permit fraternal debate uh, which which is needed uh, to consolidate for a longer time but on both uh, I, I i would say on both sides so a front with and trade unions activity is a key question on which i do. in france i've seen there there has been a position of uh, broad parts of trade, trade union even CGT and so on which could an international solidarity network of trade unions including belarus and russia and so on i think it's very important so i stop there Thank you very much for this and hoping for concrete links with uh, uh, all the comrades involved in commons and, and social movement. So th thank you, all of you, um, for your wonderful presentations and for your um, being here for this. Thank you to the audience for their questions. I'm sorry we couldn't get to more of them. And uh, I have to say... Dennis and Hannah, you're the future of Ukraine. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, subscribe to our podcast and to the Haymarket Books YouTube channel, where events like this one are hosted live. And don't forget to check out haymarketbooks.org.